0: hello everyone and welcome to the stagey place the podcast where we hear chat to those who make the magic from behind the wings in theatre from writers to directors producers to designers and on today's episode i am joined by writer sam Rees, whose production of snakehead is premiering at the hope theatre from the 6th until the 24th of june 2023 now i got to talk with sam a couple of weeks back about the project what inspired him to write a reimagining of the medusa myth plus why nepotism is not a bad thing when putting together the creative team of the production. We'll also get to find out where Sam's Stagey Place is. So without any further ado, here is episode 103 of The Stagey Place with writer Sam Rees. Hello Sam and welcome to The Stagey Place. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thank you Elliot. How are you? I'm doing really well, thanks. I'm really excited to talk to you today, Sam, because you are bringing Snakehead to the Hope Theatre, which runs from the 6th until the 24th of June and is a powerful, explosive Gig theatre piece based on the reimagining of the Medusa myth. And I was saying that one of the first things I ever did in London professionally as a stage manager was Medusa the play. And it was uh, just a six group ensemble and it was amazing. So I knew Medusa very well at that point. And then having to do a show in London about Medusa was very exciting. But you're now bringing it as the writer to the Hope yeah. Theatre throughout basically the whole of June. Tell me a little bit about where the concept of this gig theatre started for you with Medusa and why it deserves to be shown now.
1: Yeah, um, so I got into the idea. I, I I. read an article a few years ago uh, that sort of alerted me to the fact that the kind of origin myth of this character is not something we culturally are often quite aware of. Um, it certainly wasn't something I was aware of. And there's a kind of sort of potted version of that. You know, it's essentially the story of a mortal woman and the god Poseidon in in kind of Greek mythology. falls in love with her or kind of becomes obsessed with her, uh, depending on the version. And um, there's some sort of sexual encounter between the two of them in the goddess Athena's temple. And in some versions of this myth, it's consensual. In some versions, it's not. Um, But either way, what they kind of all concur on is that medusa herself is blamed fully for this and that the goddess athena sees it as a huge kind of insult to her sacred um temple and turns her into a gorgon and i was just a bit sort of surprised really and 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 sort of it really changed my thinking kind of on two levels really because i thought god there's a really interesting story there about accountability and blame and power and all those kind of really juicy topics but at the same time it felt to me like there was a sort of meta conversation to be had as well about how we mostly only know this character as a as a snaky monster yeah and a woman at that who turns men to stone right and you know that's a psychiatrist field day if you're looking into sort of the male gaze or patriarchy and all the rest of it so it felt to me and that kind of just bubbled away in my head for a while and I did that classic thing of going someone should really do a play about that that would be really cool and exciting and then eventually kind of went you know you know you're a writer right you, you're aware you could do that yourself <laughs> and, and initially there was obviously some slight sort of apprehension about tackling that as a as a man but I felt that if I kind of explored it knowingly yeah. and, and in a way that kind of uh, acknowledged my own position in this kind of legacy uh, then it could perhaps be quite a fruitful kind of exercise, and the gig theatre aspects of it sort of came about. Well, there were several reasons. I, I think I think we all sometimes need to own the idea a bit more of I did something because I like it or I wanted to do it, and yeah. you know we do sometimes retroactively I think fit uh, deep justifications as to as to certain things and certain choices onto our work. Um, I think it initially came from the fact that I just wanted to do some gig theatre, really. Um, but then it, but then it, it, it then did gel, and and it became clear to me that actually, you know, it, it, sort singing in theatre is such an interesting kind of place, and it's such an interesting component of storytelling, mm. and you can do a lot with it that you can't necessarily achieve through the spoken word or indeed in a kind of more traditional musical setting where that stuff is a bit more abstracted and a bit more rarefied. The gig theater premise is that it's happening here. And now you can see those musicians, the actors themselves are often performing the music and vice versa. So it kind of puts forward some really interesting provocations about liveness, I think, and storytelling. Um, and yeah, that was kind of, that was kind of the the sort of multiple strands of, of, of uh inspiration for it, I guess
0: yeah and so then when you're looking into gig theatre then you're working with Max Walton on this mm. piece did you know Max beforehand or how did you reach out and really spoke
1: to him about this being a project that you wanted to do yeah I've known Max for a very long time um we we go back to kind of uh yeah childhood together but but we'd never really worked together before and and you know there's a certain amount of, of um nepotism that's clearly attracted to that, I, I guess. But the thing is our initial collaboration came out of the R&D process for this show, not the 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 way it's now sort of blossomed. So it at the time, it was very much about collating a team of people that I trusted and, and knew I could work with and had a shared language with. Um, he's also a really, he's really switched on when it comes to kind of classical mythology um it's just something that's always interested him and his 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 discipline is music but he comes from a very theatrey background so all those kind of things kind of came together to make you realize that actually it would be silly to kind of worry about oh well you already know this guy and you know it, it it was he was actually the obvious pick and if he if we'd done a more kind of formal process he still would have been he still would have been the best pick i think and um yeah it's that's been a really exciting part of the collaboration because i have a huge amount of um connection to music and I, I I respond to it very viscerally but I have no technical knowledge of it so. whatsoever so developing a common language between the pair of us so I have to give notes on his music but I don't have any I don't have any kind of I have nothing in my lexicon that that can that that, that matches up with his understanding of it yeah. so I'll I'll, I'll be and I'll, I'll end up saying things like you know could it be spikier? Or can it be a bit sludgier, or you know something like that? And he has to work out what that means for him. <laughs> um, and you know, it's 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 always a bit of a kind of uh, a negotiation. But um, but I think it stretched and pulled us both um, in good directions. Yeah, um, yeah,
0: yeah. It sounds like a great collaboration, and we'll talk more about the show Snakehead later on in this interview. But Sam, what I want to do is I just want to pause and talk to you as a creative in the industry. And tell me a little bit about where theatre first came in for you. You know, was it were you, you know, engrossed by it as a child or, you know, did you find it later on in life?
1: You know, where does theatre start for you? I think, uh, generally speaking, it's the kind of classic route um, of kind of youth theatre and, and that sort of structure. Um, I, th- I think going sort of further back than that, I think before theatre was something in my sort of understanding, I've I I I, I I've been told that I always really liked words. And when I was very little, I really liked kind of commotion in the ocean and rumble in the jungle and kind of those books will mean something to you or not mean something to you depending on your age. But these very like rhythmic, you know, rhyme based children's stories that I, I I've been told apparently I sort of learned before I could read just from being told them over and over again, and then managed to convince lots of adults that I was a prodigy who could read, you know, a year before everyone else. And in fact, I just already kind of picked it up. Yeah. So I think, you know, that seems like the kind of, and, and there was always a kind of love of language there. Um, you know, and obviously, you know, that becomes, that, that, that relationship becomes troubled and you move into more, you know, um, Experimental types of theatre that perhaps aren't as language based as all the rest of it, but that was kind of that was always there. And then I I did just sort of pick up youth theatre, um, yeah. at quite an early age, and was uh, lucky enough to be around a regional theatre at the time, um, the Theatre and Edmonds, which was just at the time. I'm sh- I mean I'm sure it's doing brilliantly now as well, but in terms of its creative learning department, it was just going through a real golden age where there was a lot of money for them, and the team was quite big, and I think was probably punching above its weight in quite a lot of ways compared yeah. to other sort of bits of its size and stuff um and they really challenged us and they really professionalized the whole process and mm. and sort of took us seriously and and part of their kind of remit was you know there's this inclusivity end of things where it's it's all about you know everyone gets a shot and all the rest of it but for those of you who are more interested in this long term you've got a deeper connection to this stuff then we want to provide opportunities for them as well yeah so so, and and, you know that so i think that kind of more than school and more than doing kind of drama at school really that that because it was an invitation to a friendship group as well i think that's the thing that often gets forgotten about with with youth theatres and stuff is they're so seductive because the age range is so much larger and when you're 15 you're hanging out with 17 year olds or indeed you're 12 and hanging out with 14 year olds that's like the coolest thing in the world and you you get a perspective on the world. I remember people 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 in my sixth form who were doing youth theatre and stuff. You know, I, or even in year eleven, I remember I remember a sense that we were coming back to school with a slightly broadened understanding, just because we were already talking to people who were that little bit older. And you know, I don't have any siblings, for instance, and that sort of that sort of connection to a different sort of age group at that time in life is really vital, I think. Yeah. Um, you know yeah so so that you know and then it that just became a kind of natural a natural progression and then yeah I kind of went into university thinking I wanted to be an actor um and was convinced of that quite stoically until last semester of last year and then sort of went oh no I don't anymore um I'd had a kind of few I had a few experiences in third year that that really um opened my eyes I I, I I went to NSDF and that was kind of my first experience of seeing theatre making yeah, and understanding what that actually was, you know. Um, so, yeah, then after that, and that's, that was what I graduated my BA in 2017. So, yeah, I've been basically being a maker of some sort or other since then, really. Um, yeah. yeah, and that can involve all different sorts of things, you know, that, that, that word's a big umbrella for me. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: And yeah, so obviously, like you say, like obviously words were quite a big thing when you were younger, like you say, kind of before theatre, when you were reading or, you know, being told these rhythmic stories. So when you decided in that last semester that you didn't want to be an actor, was was writing like the first thing that you thought, maybe maybe this is what I try out now because of the words thing earlier on in your life?
1: Mm. I think I think there's definitely a connection. Yeah, yeah. I, I think at the time, you know, broadly speaking I agree with the decision that that version of me made you know yeah. um however many years ago six or whatever but but you know there were still some wrong ideas about things right I, at that time I sort of thought theater making was oh what I can do is sort of write myself a really sick play mm. and be in it and that's that's what theater making is right and then I get the best of both worlds and actually yeah. it's obviously it's a lot of, it's a lot deeper than that um but I kind of I suppose it was that yeah and 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 it was and it was a miss I think at the time I'd thrown myself so much into acting and I'd gotten quite jaded about it and I've I I think a lot of I I had quite a lot of misapprehensions actually or, or at least things that I've been uh my mind's been shifted on since about you know how much power an actor can ever possibly have in a room yeah um and when you're when you're somebody who's who's interested in all kind of aspects of of a process, it's hard to kind of switch that off and just and just and just focus on on what you're doing and on on stage and and you know at the time I sort of thought actors were you know thinking of myself as one at the time I was like oh we're just kind of meat puppets like we don't have any kind of control or agency and I think a lot of the industry still functions like that you know and and happily I'm seeing a lot more rooms where that's not the case but um but yeah I think I think writing probably was I I, I call myself a maker a lot earlier than i call myself a writer i think yeah um and i think a lot of those first things i was writing because they didn't happen in a traditional you know sit at a laptop and drink a load of coffee kind of ways. they were done in rooms with people they were often like transcribing what people were saying they were off you know it was all that kind of stuff which is still a huge part of my practice but at the time it was kind of you know it's it's hard to think of yourself as a writer when when that's how you're doing it but yeah you know maybe we need to broaden the definition I suppose.
0: Yeah and so now obviously as a writer tell me a little bit about what influences you as a writer has anybody influenced you have you gone to see plays and then spoken to writers afterwards asking them about their advice like you know who inspires you as a writer?
1: Yeah Um, it's a good question I I guess it kind of comes from all over the shot really I, i'm I'm quite a big believer i think in in um in inspiration outside of your own mm. discipline like i you know i could reel off a load of people and they'd be the same sort of names that you'd have heard before <laughs> yeah. um because there's a reason those you know simon stevens there's a reason we all say simon stevens right yeah but <laughs> in terms of a broader kind of thing you know and maybe that's coming from like the making part of me as well like that that kind of cross-disciplinary stuff i'm really fascinated in and 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 kind of pulling and tugging at the definition of what a play is and what the structure of a play is you know i mean you know the, the, there's um there's stuff like christopher christopher Brett bailey with you know this is how we die where the, yes. the second half of that play is just a huge deafening jam of like post-rock noise yes. but it's the second half of the play and and it and to me it makes perfect sense but you know, I can see why people would be very annoyed by that kind of thing. But you know, even in a, in a broader sense, like you know, people like um, uh, the, the visualized Jenny Holzer was a yeah. huge kind of influence for a long time as well. Um, and the way she uses text was really interesting. Um, you know, there's a lot of poets as well that I think, particularly the kind of spoken words, um, sort of a you know six fifty sixties American uh tradition that that were doing really interesting things with text. Um, so it kind of comes from all over the shop, really. And yeah. I, I think sometimes the, the the broader you are about, you know, I think someone like Kay Tempest is a really interesting example because they're someone who doesn't seem to give two monkeys about the form. Like, you know, they clearly care about the form hugely, but, like, they worry about those words and then they find a form for them. So sometimes that will be an album or sometimes it will be a play or a, or a novel or, you know, and and or a piece of just spoken word poetry. And... And I like that. I like that kind of jumping around, and and I think you get you can only get better, can't you, if you're yeah. if you're reaching outside of the the kind of common languages that are used around your form and like finding new ones to talk about. So I'd say that's kind of that, that that's the stuff I try to seek out a bit more, actually.
0: Yeah, I saw Christopher Brat
1: Bailey's "This Is How We yeah.
0: It" Warwick like years and years ago. Yeah, must have been over ten years ago because I was at university and I saw it in Warwick Arts Centre. And I remember being blinded by the parkans at the end and it just like the way that he was speaking and suddenly it wasn't yeah. about watching him, but it was about the words because you couldn't see him anymore. And we were yeah. almost in the spotlight and like it was so profound. I remember watching it and, you know, back then, like it, obviously I've been seeing theatre for, you know, a couple of years, obviously, and, you know, I was still into theatre. That was like the first kind of thing that I saw that was like really profound on me and like really like mm. made me mm. enjoy the words it's incredible so let's jump back to snakehead now which obviously is yeah. coming to the hope theater tell us a little bit about where we find the character at the start of the story
1: mm. so it's an updated version of it um chronologically so in the sense that it happens now um but it's set in uh, essentially we call it kind of a town in the middle of nowhere right so it's it's a regional uh, town. The point of it being kind of it's not London and it's not any other kind of major urban centre. In this particular instance, it's East Anglia because that's where I'm from, and um, I, I I could go on about this for hours, but <clears throat> I think it's the kind of place where that struggles to find its own voice regionally. Um, sure. you, you sort of say, <clears throat> excuse me, you say the northeast or the northwest to somebody, and that kind of has a, 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 a certain evocations, or you say. You say scotland or whatever it might be but it's a kind of place i think because of its proximity to london um that kind of loses itself sometimes and there are certain misconceptions about the place that mean that um people just see it as very affluent when in fact that's not my experience of it at all that's not a lot of people's experience of it um there's a lot of rural poverty a lot of mental health problems a lot of drug problems um and it felt like an interesting place to set it because the ecosystem there, uh, the literal ecosystem there is is so water-based, it's so kind of um, fen-like and uh, marshy and coastal, that a play in which a character, you know, uh, that original story being a character who has so many links to the ocean and to the water, Mm -hmm. um, whether it's through Poseidon or the fact that she then exists on an island as a Gorgon, um, it felt right. Um, And yeah, uh, our, our character's called M, and she's a she's a working class woman in one of these towns um and she's sort of stuck really um all her friends have left uh it's your kind of classic seaside town that's dead for half the year and yeah. uh immensely busy for the other half she gets very annoyed about all the festival goers latitude coming visiting so, um so there's a lot of that kind of stuff in there uh and yeah our kind of presiding character who who sort of comes along is you know there are no gods in our version it's 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 all set in the real world yeah but he's a man of immense wealth and privilege and status so you know and that was a conversation that took a long time actually was kind of how and and, and max was the one who kind of solved it for me using his kind of his his much much better knowledge of, of Greek mythology than mine is you know how does it how how can you just be a dude and and how, how, how can that work and how does it, how can he still have the feeling of that? And, you know, he sort of said to me quite wisely, but well, it's a play about power, right? It's a play about, mm. you know, uh, people who can control other people. And it doesn't really matter if that's because they're the God of the sea or they just are a multi multi-millionaire. Yeah. And, you know, that felt really rich to me. Um, and yeah, we find her there. We find her there at the beginning of the story. Um, mm. And the first half of it's sort of a love story, really. Yeah. Um, and then, and then you know, then it's not. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, then all the good Greek stuff happens, I suppose. Yeah,
0: yeah. And so let's talk about audiences coming to watch this production. So if they know the myth of Medusa, like you say, this is very modern. It's very current, you know, set in today's world. There's no gods in this version you know what would you like them to take away from the show having seen this reimagining of medusa yeah. myth
1: i think i think there's several things i mean i like to think that it you're always trying to hit a sweet spot i think as a as a as anyone involved in the making of something where you know it can it can have a layer to it and it can it can speak to certain sort of complex themes and say certain things culturally but it should never do that and also bore people or mm. um make them feel silly or stupid or like they don't get something so i think one of our primary sort of objectives with the play is first and foremost it's really entertaining um it's really funny um if i do say to myself <laughs> um it's um the music's amazing the music's absolutely amazing i'm sure we'll talk about that later but um and the and the central actor in it is just completely and utterly sick she's 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 an amazing performer so so even if you don't come and think about you know the politics of adaptation or the male gaze or any of those things it'll it'll hopefully be a kind of exhilarating and entertaining hour and a half of theater and you know once you've gotten that you can then you can then play around with some with some tricksier stuff but I think I think first and foremost it absolutely ticks that box you know um, it excites me I still listen to the music and get pumped you know and I've, I've heard it a, a huge amount of times a, a, you know a crushing amount of times and it's still, and it still it still, still gets me you know yeah um, so that that must be a good sign I think
0: huge sign and that is obviously Max's brilliance in in mm. that in that world in that part of music so obviously what we really haven't spoken about obviously is that you are starting rehearsals next Monday so what is the thing that you're most excited about going into the rehearsal room? Because people might think that as a writer, your job is done, basically. You know, you'll let the actors Mm. do their stuff. Mm. But I guess it could be quite a collaborative process and maybe there's still Mm. points where you think, until I hear the actors in the room Mm. saying the words, you know, things might change, this and that. What are you most excited about for Monday, getting into rehearsals?
1: I'm really excited to hear the actor, Sean say it because I've had to do a lot of... (laughs) this. one of the sort of conversations that's been ongoing is, has been the length of the play. So every single redraft I've done, I've had yeah. to do the most awful out loud reading to anybody who will listen to yeah. try and time the thing. And weirdly enough, it doesn't really work in my voice. So I'm I'm really, really excited to hear her yeah. um say it. I'm really excited because because actually I've had to do it so many times, I've started to come up with ways of doing stuff because you just naturally do right yeah and it'll be really interesting to see what her instincts are it'll be really interesting to see what Sham brings to it um and what her what you know what she thinks is is important and Mm -hmm. and that's always the lovely thing I think is when someone shines something back at you and goes no but this is surely about that and you then have to really quickly gather yourself and go yeah that's absolutely what i meant to do with you know having never thought about that before in your in your life so so that's the wonderful kind of to and fro i think with with actors is 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 them showing you stuff you hadn't seen before um the thing i'm sort of uh, more not nervous about but the thing i'm anticipating is we've um we had a bit of a um a, a, a farcical issue, one one that you couldn't make up where our our lovely composer Max has broken his thumb in the most bizarre wow. way possible, okay. um, involving a kind of fermented bottle of raspberry cooling hitting his hand <laughs> once the gas escaped, which, you know, I don't believe in. In, in a pantheon of gods, but I'm starting to wonder um if they've got it in for me. Um, yeah. or indeed his thumb, but you know. Uh and so we've had to kind of really quickly reconvene and find a new person to perform the music. Sure. Um but luckily we found an amazing guy, um, also called Max, which is a bit annoying, but um he's wonderful. Yeah. Um so you know that's another one where you kind of just have to accept something and roll with it. And kind of go okay so it's not going to be the way that we thought it would be but let's just kind of go all guns blazing for a different version of it and what, what's this new performer going to bring to it um and uh you know it, they're all they're all just exciting opportunities aren't they to to, yeah. to unlock new things I guess
0: yeah and talk to me a little bit about Sean then she's obviously in the lead mm. of this what was it about Shan that made you or mm. anybody else in the company think that she was brilliant for this role
1: yeah so again i knew john um but you know i was the only one who did and and i kind of had to we had the rest of the team in place and and like any kind of good <clears throat> excuse me any good sort of professional um company everyone sort of went we're not just going to take your word for it kind of thing so so you know i had to sort of conspire with her to kind of go look if you want if you want it you need to kind of do this this and this and yeah um my my attraction to her in the first place was that she's, I mean, she is just amazing. She's an amazing actor. Um, she's got a sort of layer of, it's like she's got a kind of layer of enamel missing, Char, do you know what I mean? Like there's just a kind of vulnerability and an openness to her. Without it ever being weak or kind of, you know, oh, bless her sort of thing. It, 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 it She she just has an ability to kind of demonstrate emotion in a really authentic way. Or let it just show, I guess. But um, she, she she's also somebody who, can do softness and hardness i think and you know she's very small and she's you know and and kind of has a certain sort of ingenue quality to her but has a real hardness as well And and i find that sort of complexity really interesting in her because it's one of those ones where you can sort of start to feel i described it in one of the sort of many things they've made me write about the show recently for the many blogs that are poking us um that about how you know she's someone who it feels like you kind of when she acts it's almost like you get a bear hug but then the bear sort of bites you you know she's kind of there's a sort of undercurrent of like dryness or hardness to her that yeah um is really appealing I think um so yeah she's um yeah she's brilliant for it she's she's brilliant yeah
0: that's fantastic and obviously you were saying earlier on that you've been listening to these songs in your head they've been Mm. really getting They've been really getting into your head. That's 10 minutes left of this uh, meeting. Uh, They've been really getting into your head. What is the moment in the show, whether or not it's a text, a section, a song Mm. that you're most excited for audiences to, uh, you know, uh, embody when watching the show?
1: Yeah. There's a moment about sort of just over the halfway point there's a song called Beach, which came out of a one of the very few things that me and Max wrote just together. Like, sure. you know, most of the time it's a sort of to and fro and he would give me something, I'd give him notes. I'd maybe give him some lyrics and he would come back with something. And this is one we sort of came up together with in the room. Um, and I think it kind of shows it because it, it I, and, and you know, it's all down to him really, you know, um, he, he came up with the kind of vocal line and the melody and the instrumentation and it's just... It's just stunning. It's the most sort of, it's amongst all this kind of noisy, loud abrasive music. And the play is basically full of that, but it's a kind of moment of stillness and kind of poignancy that is just breathtaking, I think. And and you kind of, the play sort of goes at full throttle until then. And then it's the first sort of moment we kind of stop and get to process everything that's happened right um and i think it's electric it wasn't we did it we did it like we did it for a showing you know just just to an invited audience last year and even in that sort of very scrappy environment it it just had something to it um yeah so i'm really excited to see how that see how many people we can make cry because that's what it's all about isn't it
0: yeah (laughs) that is wonderful well sam i've got one final question for you about snakehead and it's basically the rest of the team so who else yeah this project that you'd like to shout out in this episode
1: yeah, so the lovely people at the Hope, for a start, for making it happen, Phil Butler and Ella Dale, um, the AD and Deputy AD of the Hope, they were very, very tenacious, and they really believed in the project and getting it on, so that you know it wouldn't be happening without them, full stop. Um, obviously Max Welton, um, our new Max, Max Alexander Taylor, is is a treat as well. Uh, Sean's amazing. We've got an amazing lighting designer as well called uh, Laurel Marks, who's had a meeting with the other day and we're gonna do something, you know, we're gonna try and beat the pyramid stage at Glastonbury and do something massive wow. with that. So so yeah, that's gonna be really, really exciting. <laughs> um, Yeah, so it's a great team, it's a great, great team.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Well, that is Snakehead, which again is running from the 6th until the 24th of June at the Hope Theatre. So Sam I've got two final questions for you and they're the questions that we always ask every guest that come onto the podcast. So the first one that I want to ask is advice that you may have for anybody listening to this episode who wants to get into writing theatre or gig theatre maybe let's go for. So what advice
1: Sam would you have for those listening to this episode? <clears throat> I think I think um I think this probably answers both writing and and sort of making gig theatre or writing for gig theatre really and 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 it's it's one sort of singular thing that that i th- i think is really 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 vital to anyone who wants to be a writer particularly if you're sort of at that early point in your sort of 2021 leaving uni is sort of as quickly as possible shed the trappings of what you think a writer is don't 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 seclude yourself at a desk and uh, put a cardigan on and and do all that rubbish just just get out and and talk to people and don't think because you're a writer you get to sub out of all the important things all the collaboration all the conversations um meet other people as soon as you can who will stop you being dry and uh boring you know go talk to a choreographer write something with them go talk to a musician wing wing nudge nudge and write something with them, right? D- to just get out of your comfort zone repeatedly. Because I promise you, whatever you do in that room, in that kind of fraught, collaborative kind of tension and pressure cooker that, that those rooms can be will be way more interesting to everybody than the thing that you labor over for five years yeah. uh, in your bedroom and don't show anyone until you assume it wins the Bruntwood and it almost certainly won't, you know, just get out there and start making with people because it's 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 more education than than anything else I think
0: yeah yeah that's wonderful piece of advice thanks Sam and so my final question for you today is the title of this podcast and that is the stagey place and what I love to know from all of my guests is where their stagey place is so Sam this could be for you the youth theatre that you went to when you were younger which really gave you this idea of you know exploring what you could be within the industry and really giving you that almost adult look into the industry it can be a theater that you've gone to see one of your favorite pieces of theater it could be a theater that has produced one of your plays it could be the hope theater where snakehead is about to perform but sam reese for you whereabouts is your stagey
1: place yeah it's a funny one i've been thinking about it you know it's um it's 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 funny how, because of how we all have to make work, how many places we have to just sort of make our stagey place, right? Just like yeah. our random living room with our mate or, or a conference center or something. Um, it, I think for me, it would be the Theatre or Berist and Circus sort of 2012. I think there was a real kind of electricity in that building at that time. The work that was being made both for kind of young people and also um, for their kind of main house commercial stuff was 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 really exciting. Um, I think that theater is having a real renaissance right now as well, um, under the leadership of Owen Calvert-Lyons and I think um, it's it's a really important space and, and and there are so many of us who owe something to that place um, yeah. and and we still have connections with each other and um, it's it's it gave me a kind of push forward in a way that I think a lot of people didn't. and I think you know, apart from anything else, that's just a testament to what good arts funding for community work can do. Um, And, you know, that's a whole other conversation. But I think me and so many other people are a testament to, to that, you know?
0: Yeah. No, that is fantastic. Like you say, it's something that really you into who you are today as as a writer as a creative within the industry so it's wonderful to hear that um so sam that is the end of the podcast today thank you so much again for coming on we'll have all of the dates and where people could buy tickets in the episode notes when we release this episode on social media and all the streaming platforms but for now sam thank you so much for joining me on the stagey place cheers elliot thank you very much thank you And there we go, that was my interview with writer Sam Rees, who is currently premiering his show Snakehead at the Hope Theatre in London, an electric gig theatre piece that is set to have our hearts racing. I'm playing from the 6th until the 24th of June, and you can book tickets by clicking the hyperlinks in our episode notes wherever you are streaming this episode of The Stagey Place. So, to round off this instalment, I'd love to thank Sam so much for coming on to The Stagey Place. I'm really excited to hopefully being able to catch Snakehead whilst it's on in London and I'd love to thank you the listener for tuning into this episode I hope you got something from it whether or not it was Sam's piece of advice of how to start writing or whether or not it's just stepping foot into the world of gig theatre and so that's it for this week's episode my name's Ben Elliot and until next time I hope you're keeping safe and staying stagey goodbye